All right, welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is season one, episode 1.01, Introduction to the Spiritual Lenses, which we call See the Unseen. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to be discussing the seven-stage journey. Now, if you want to learn more about Rekindling Ministries and and kind of the background of all this, you can listen to the previous episode 1.00. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick, and I am the teacher and facilitator for Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zachary Rios, and I am... I'm a student here at Liberty University, majoring in youth ministry and minoring in pastoral leadership. Okay, great. So let's go ahead and dive right in. And so I want to explain the lens concept. Uh, I'm going to use a, a story from my childhood that I think explains it well, mm-hmm. as far as like what, what do we mean when we say spiritual lenses and yeah. why should we look at life through spiritual lenses, etc. So going back to the summer between my sixth and seventh grade years. So this is, this is a while back. A little bit of time. Yeah. Um, my, my family had went to the circus. So it was my mom, my dad, and my brother and I. And we're at the circus and we're seeing different things. And then at one point, specifically, there was an elephant show. Mm-hmm. So we get there early because that's what we do. You know, sure. we're, we're on time people. And so, but we, we got up in the back seats at the back of the bleachers. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there and they're bringing the elephants out and they're, they're preparing for the show. And my mom was, started referring to the elephants by names. And this confused my brother and I because we didn't know like where she was getting these names. We didn't have a uh, a brochure, you know, or a, a program, yeah. you know, for the show. And and my mom's not like the practical joker type. It's gonna you know pull wool over your eyes. So we're like, mom, where are you getting these names, you know, for the elephants? And she's like, well, I'm like, how do you know these names? And she's like, it's on their forehead. And so, you know, we look and, and each elephant had like this, these wooden placards that they were wearing mm-hmm. and they were painted, but there was no names or no words on it. Yeah. So that mom's, you know, trying to uh, be funny, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so, so she keeps referring. We don't know what she's talking about. And then the show starts and the announcer, uh, as he's, as he starts announcing the show, starts referring to the elephants by those names. <laughs> and so we're like, like, seriously, mom, like, how, how did you know this? You know, yeah. did, did you see a sign when we walked in? You know, what's, I was just very mm-hmm. confused. And mom's like, I told you, they're on. It's on. Right, look, it's on their forehead, right, right there. And we're looking, like, no, it's not. Well, long story short, it sure enough, it was. Yeah. That the, the names were on there, but because we were up at the back of the bleachers, we couldn't see those names. Hmm. So mom was like, Oh, you boys may need glasses. And my brother and I, we went to a small K K through eighth school. We were mm-hmm. first and second in our class. And this was when Revenge of the Nerds had just come out a few years before that, you know, and we're like, yeah, no, we're not going to get glasses because we already get teased as it is. And that yeah. would just be the, the death bell, you know. <laughs> uh, but moms have a way of winning out, you know, because they're their boss. And so we go to the eye doctor and we went through the whole rigmarole of, you know, better or better, better yeah. or better. Go one or all two, that. one yep. or two. Yep. And, you know, uh, can you do it again, please? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm sure my answers were inconsistent, you know. But anyways, so we go through the whole process and then at the end, and he's got that that uh, mechanism there in front of me, mm-hmm. and it has the E letter poster, you know, yep. on, the, on the far wall. And he goes, "Now, here's how you see right now." And so there was no there was no lens in there, and I could I could see the E, and that was about it. I thought <laughs> I saw some black smudges. Yep. Um, and he goes, "Here's what you would see if you actually had 2020 vision." And he puts the lenses down, and I was like. I need glasses. You know, I mean, it was it was such a night and day difference. Mm-hmm. There was no way that I I could argue it. You know, yeah. and so we got glasses. And one of the things that the the eye doctor had said was, "You guys are probably um, going to spend. Are you guys indoors or outdoor kids?" And I'm like, "Oh, we're indoor kids. We got our Star Wars and our Legos and 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 all that." So no need to go. Yes, <laughs> Why would we? You know. Um, and he's like, "You're probably going to go out more." And and I, and I was already that sarcastic. Shannon was starting to emerge <laughs> even in sixth grade. You know. And so I was like, "Yeah." I doubt that, you know. (laughs) So anyways, we get home and sure enough, we start going outside more because here's the thing. I remember walking back to our house there and we had a big, big tree uh, out front. Mm -hmm. I could see every individual leaf. (laughs) I didn't know that was possible. I always just assume it was just this blur, you know, of the tree. And I'm like, I can see the colors. I can see the individual, you know. And so, like, the whole world opened up to mm-hmm. me, you know. So so with that, a lot of times we don't know that we need lenses until we're shown the night and day difference. So one of the goals of this season one mm-hmm. that we're doing with the Rekindling Ministries, these spiritual lenses, is we're going to introduce a um, – a number of different lenses or different types of glasses, what have you. Uh, and the idea being
so that you can see the things more spiritually. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, it's a beautiful quote. He says, though, though outwardly we're wasting away, mm-hmm. yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Mm-hmm. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And it's like we talked about last week, when I, after my prodigal son stage and I came back and I was reading the Bible, I was just amazed at all those details. Yeah. Uh, and I realized that the, the details are where the magic at. So again, we keep using that phrase, applying the details of the Bible to the details of our lives. And we're supposed to see the unseen. We're supposed to see the spiritual reality behind things. But as humans being physical creatures, we can't always do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's where this concept emerged is we, and, and again, each episode will show you a different lens, yeah. um, but the idea is is that you're going to put this this spiritual lens on this this paradigm, mm-hmm. this perspective, this analogy, this definition, this story, whatever it may be. You're putting them on so that you can look at your circumstances in life and you can see them more clearly yeah. and make better decisions. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that we're going to go through a number of different lenses, and we're not saying that you should use all of these lenses all the time. Um, that'll make more sense as we explain what more of them are, but some of them you can use in congruence with each other and they work together well, but then others just, it's kind of like a Batman tool belt. (laughs) You want to, yep. Uh, need to pull out whatever tool you need for that particular moment. Mm -hmm. And so just wanted to throw that out there to you guys as well. Yeah. Because what was the movie you were talking about? Oh, national treasure. Yeah. Yeah, And that scene, Mm -hmm. um, the scene where uh, they go and they're looking at the Declaration of Independence and then they have those really fancy glasses that they put on and they have to put down all these different lenses. The different colors. Yeah, yeah, in order to actually read what's hidden on the back of it. And so um, that's another idea that we want you guys to be aware of with these lenses is sometimes you're going to need multiple of them to come together until you actually see what's going what on. What needs to be seen, yeah. Yeah. So th- that reminds me, I, I definitely, now that we're di- diving into this season, mm-hmm. and I think there'll be probably nine or ten episodes total, I, I recommend the listener, if, if this is if you're buying into this and you're liking it, get a journal and start taking notes on these things. Studies have shown if you write things down, it triggers in your brain, it's more important. Mm-hmm. And so by the end of this, you're going to have these eight or nine or ten different lenses. Some of them are going to be confusing to you. They don't they don't appeal to you. Mm-hmm. Others you really, really like. And so like you were just saying, you'll keep it in your utility belt. Yeah. And so depending on the situation that you're dealing with, oh, you know what? I need to look at this from this, this perspective mm-hmm. and that perspective from these two lenses. And by putting both of them on, the picture actually emerges of what the truth of the matter is, you know, et, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that's the concept behind these spiritual lenses and why we're doing it. Make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Okay. So with that, I want to go into the first lens, and then we're only doing the one today. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned this last week, the, the seven-stage journey. And this is definitely the overarching lens mm-hmm. that all the other ones fit under. Mm-hmm. And so if you understand this, then you're going to understand more of like where I'm coming from, what rekindling is all about, um, what direction we're headed in, the attitude that we have, mm-hmm. you know, the approach. Yeah. So... With the seven-stage journey, what this lens does is it helps you identify where you are spiritually. Hmm. And so there's seven potential stages. And I'm going to go ahead and list them out now, and then I'm going to tell like a story that will help bring it to life or help you, you know, click and, and remember. Yeah. So what the seven potential stages are are atheist, the first one. The second one is agnostic slash apathist. The third one is seeker. The fourth one is believer. The fifth one is disciple, the sixth one is ambassador, and the seventh one is co-heir, okay? Okay. And so I'm a visual guy, and so, again, if you're listening and you're visual like I am, go ahead and draw this out. Um, It's really cool for me because I've done this like at coffee shops. You pull out a little napkin, and you can kind of draw it out, and now that you have that visual reference or that visual, this is why Jesus told parables, Mm -hmm. because you get these these visual stories that you could then tie into the meaning, right? Mm -hmm. So... With the story, we start off with there's an island surrounded by a large body of water. And the island is going to represent the physical world where the water is going to represent the spiritual world. And so everybody starts off in the middle. And imagine they're on the island there's like a, a big valley, you know, with a circling of mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so everybody starts off in that valley, circle with the mountains encircling them so they can't see the ocean. Sure. Okay? So 
a st- word begins to spread that apparently there's something everyone had always just lived in the valley and there's something magnificent something amazing this thing called an ocean that's outside of the valley if we climb up over these mountains we can come down we'll see this this ocean and it's far reaching and, mm-hmm. and and the rumor is there's a paradise a perfect paradise somewhere out there you know this world's awesome but broken there's this perfect paradise you know and so people can get really excited so the first stage like we said it is the atheist stage and so imagine we're in a village mm-hmm. in the valley and word begins a spreading of this this you know this adventure this journey we can go on um, what do you think the atheist might say those are probably the people that are thinking there's not anything out there those are just old fables and myths and um, there's really just not anything supernatural beyond what we know here and what why might they think that there's nothing out there beyond the mountains because they haven't experienced it, they mm. haven't seen it There's yet. No evidence for it. Yeah, yeah, that they know of, and so they're just kind of they don't really want a part of that. So spiritually, the idea would be, um, you know, seeing is believing, mm-hmm. and so hey, we can't see the ocean. You know, therefore the ocean doesn't exist, yeah. right? But obviously, there's more than just visual evidence. And and by the way, too, I'm, I'm thinking in my head here as we as we talk this out. My goal here is not to like bash anybody at each of the stages because I am a free will guy and I believe that everyone's going to choose what they're going to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to, you know, if I don't agree with somebody, I always want to respect, you know, their decisions. Sure. I'm just trying to explain what some of the attitude or uh, ideology or logic may be, you know, in each of the stages. Stage, yeah. yeah. So the atheist stage would be the naysayer stage. And they would say, you know, there is no spiritual reality. It's just this physical world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an awesome world. We can just spend our time exploring this valley. We don't need to climb. We can't even climb out, you know, over the yeah. mountaintop. Um, but even though we can't see the ocean, there would be evidences of it. So again, let's say we're sitting there in that village in the valley and we can't see the ocean. What might we hear? can hear the waves crashing on the ocean shore and seagulls yep. and just the, yeah so difference the, yeah. Cra- the crashing and what might we smell salt in the air yeah. from the water yeah so even though you can't see the ocean there's these sounds coming there's smell there's different evidences that there may be something going on mm-hmm. so what happens is in, in the spiritual sense the second stage um, what people say well you know what I'm curious yeah. about these evidences I don't know you know because of course they don't even know what a seagull is right mm-hmm. so I don't know what that sound is I don't know what that smell is I don't I don't know what this evidence is but it tells me there might be something there might be a supernatural reality there yeah. might be something beyond just the there physical. might be something to what I've been hearing mm-hmm. and so look, I, I'm curious let me go explore it and so the second stage is is all those who want to leave the village uh, and he- and start heading up the mountain because they want to see what's over uh, over the mountainside and, and mm-hmm. see if this ocean really does exist now what what would you guess Let's start with the United States. What percentage of people in the United States are atheists where they say there is no God, there is no supernatural reality whatsoever? Uh, I feel like it's actually lower than we would think it is, mm-hmm. probably 15%. Even lower, probably 8 to 10. Hmm. Um, I would I, Some of the statistics I've seen 20 years ago it was like 4 to 6%, and so it has climbed yeah. uh, in the last generation, but still typically it's only about 8 to 10% that would say there's nothing. 90% of Americans believe there's something out there, whatever mm-hmm. that something may be. Worldwide, it would be the percentage would be even lower because yeah. worldwide the, 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 the humanity is more likely to accept that there's some, you know, we'll something disagree on what it is, but there's something else out there. Yeah. So anyway, so the, the first stage are the naysayers that, that don't think there's any evidence to pursue spiritualness, you know, mm-hmm. the, but everybody else say, no, there's something out there I want to explore. So, so you begin in the story, you begin walking up the mountainside, climbing out of the valley, uh, away from the village mm-hmm. and you're head, uh, heading up the mountain. Problem is it's uphill. Mm-hmm. It's against gravity. There's no path. It's not easy. And so it's a lot of work. And it's a pretty tall mountain. So yeah. it takes a while to climb up it. So many start to kind of give up. Um, it's not really worth the effort uh, to, to keep going. And so they actually stop, you know, and maybe they're halfway up the mountain. And they're not denying that the ocean exists. They just, they don't know still. Mm-hmm. And they don't care enough to actually explore it further. And so it's this is this is why we say that the second stage is that agnostic or that apathist stage, mm-hmm. where the agnostic is somebody who doesn't know or says that he can't know, yeah. and the apathist is somebody pathos and passion, somebody who doesn't care. And so this is probably where the largest 
excuse me, the largest majority of Americans are today, mm-hmm. where they might say, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe God exists, maybe there's a, a spiritual supernatural reality. I don't really know for sure, and honestly, I don't, I don't need it. Yeah. Um, it's a cool view being a halfway up the mountainside. We can still see of the valley. Yeah. And so I'm pretty content where I'm at with mm-hmm. that, and I just don't really feel the need to explore it. So. What would you say if, if that's the second group? What would what would the third stage be? The third stage would be those people that actually get to the point where they start coming over the mountain and see that there is some sort of ocean. What's the motivation there? I think there could be a lot of different potential motivations, but um, one might just be a desire to know what is actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people are motivated by wanting to find out truth, and so mm-hmm. if if there really is this ocean. They want to know what that would consist of. Yeah, and the idea is it's something greater than us. Even if you, like, you get into quantum physics and you get into dimensions, and there's still debate on this <laughs> in different camps, but yeah. if we have four dimensions that we understand, the length, width, height, and time, and we only partially understand time, <laughs> um, quantum physics in some circles say there's 10, 11, 12, or like 21 different dimensions. Wow. And so I remember growing up, I used to think like the physical world was more tangible and the spiritual world was more ethereal. But now I don't see it that way. I actually see the spiritual world as having more access to the other dimensions. And I I don't mean to get into any kind of new age thing with that. It's just understanding that that the spiritual world is probably even more real than the physical world, Hmm. that I'm limited in what I understand, right? And so so in general, there's this idea that it's that the whole spiritual and supernatural, something supernatural, right? Something greater and beyond ourselves. There's a no pain, no gain mentality here mm-hmm. that I, I've heard the evidence, right? There's, there's something's telling me that the something is out there and I'm curious enough. And like you just said, I, I'd like to see what it is. Yeah. And so they go ahead and they, they, they make the journey and they climb up over the mountaintop and they come down to the beach. And, and like you said, there enough, sure's the ocean. Yeah. And another motivation that I think could be present here is the motivation of wanting to prove the people that are saying that there is an ocean wrong. Um, Because I've heard different stories of uh, people like Lee Strobel or Josh McDowell that Mm -hmm. set out to disprove the Bible or Christianity, and they they were actively pursuing, um, really, the ocean just in a different avenue, Mm -hmm. um, trying to say, it doesn't exist, let me show you how, and then end up realizing as they start coming up over that mountaintop that there actually is something out there. Yeah, uh, what is his name? James Perloff, I think, wrote Tornado in a Junkyard. Uh, that he'd start. He hated the government and he hated church, and hmm. he wanted to write a book to kind of you know bash one of them. Said decided he hated the church and create you know creation more, and so wrote a book to disprove it. And then in the process became a believer and realized <laughs> that you know the Bible is historically and scientifically you know consistent with what we've already learned, and yeah. at least on a universal level. Um, so, anyways, so the first stage, the atheists, those who just refuse to do any sort of, sort of spiritual supernatural journey. Mm-hmm. Then the second stage are the the agnostics and the apathists that maybe. There's something there. I'm not going to say one way or the other. I'm just not really exploring it myself. So the third stage of those that come down to the beach, and we call them the seekers. Mm-hmm. And so they're seeking the ocean. They're seeking this supernatural reality, this, the spiritual things of life. And so in the story, when you get down to the beach, what you notice is there's a series of boats uh, along the beach there. And mm-hmm. so in this analogy, each boat represents what? A different religion. Yeah, different religion. And so you can choose which boat you want to get into to explore the spiritual waters, Hmm. right? Uh, And most people tend to just choose the boat that their friends and family or their culture predominantly does, Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera. Some people uh, don't want to choose any of the boats, and so they build a surfboard or a a little dinghy, (laughs) you know, to try to kind of create their own religion. Um, But the water's turbulent, and so sometimes that that bigger boat is better handled, you know, or better equipped to to handle it all. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so the, the third stage, the seekers, they haven't committed yet. So they hover there on the beach. Um, they're not for sure which boat is right or which boat is best to explore the supernatural waters. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're scared of God. Maybe they're mad at him. There's different motivations there yeah. of why they say, so these are the ones that say, I do believe there's a supernatural reality. I don't know if, if I figured out what's the best way to explore that. Yeah, and I definitely, neither of us want to minimize those reasons. There are very real reasons that people decide, you know what, there's just this stuff that's happened in the past that I just don't really want to deal with all of this religion stuff. Um, Close family members died or 
there's mm-hmm. a number of different reasons like you just mentioned but want to make sure that we are sensitive to that and understand that there are real reasons why um people do decide there but we both hope that you wouldn't stay there yeah so again as, as you're listening and we're going through each of these seven stages one of the things by the end that you want to ask yourself are right, which stage am i in mm-hmm. right, and we're, we'll, we'll get more to that when we get to application at the end so, so some stay there in the valley. They're, they're the valley dwellers. Yep. Um, then there's the valley climbers that start but then stop. Then there's the the beach wanderers or the beach combers. You know. Um, so the fourth stage is when you become a believer. You move from seeker to believer, mm-hmm. and this is where you join one of the boats. And and the way just to explain the way I use the terminology. Um, so a lot of times in Christianese, when we say, "Oh, they're a believer," yeah. we mean they're a Christian believer. Mm-hmm. But technically, you're a believer to whatever faith that you're a believer to. So it's like a small case B, you mm-hmm. know. And so there are um, Muslim believers and Jewish believers and Hindu believers and, and um, Zoroastrian believers, and you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so, so you join one of these boats. And when we tell the story, what we say is, is when you're looking at all the boats, there's, there's similarities to each of them. And there's sure. also differences to each of them. And they each have a captain, uh, some leader, you know, and a crew. <laughs> and there's a rule book, you know, of how you're supposed to, what you're supposed to do when you're on that what's boat. Expected you know, yeah, what's you. expected of you. And so in, the, in, the, in this analogy, we talk about how while there are similarities and differences to all of them mm-hmm. um, and everyone has a crew and a captain, there's this one captain that just stands out among all the other captains. And when you meet him, this, it's just, okay, this is, this is different. This is, um, he's at another whole level. Hmm. And, I, and I mean that at least in two ways, personally or relationally, and then also experientially uh, as far as seafaring knowledge. And so when this captain, he comes to the beach and he meets with people and he makes eye contact and he doesn't just wait to speak. He truly listens. Mm -hmm. You can tell by the questions that he asks that he's intrigued with who this individual is, you know. So people feel very um, fond of this captain and they feel like the captain's very fond of them. There's just a relational bond that goes on there. And when he starts talking about shipbuilding and seafaring and things like that, you can tell this guy Knows what he's talking yeah, about. he knows his stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, just the details. And some of it is similar to what the other ones say. Some of it's very different than mm-hmm. what the uh, other other boats would say. And so a lot of people, you not know, everybody, but a lot of people, when, when they meet this captain, mm-hmm. they're just so overwhelmed by him that they say, I want to sail in his boat. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like, and we'll explain what we mean by this in a, momentarily, it looks like all the boats sail the waters, but this is the captain that I want to sail with. Who do you think this captain represents? This would be Jesus. Yeah, this would be Jesus, Yeshua, Isa, um, Jesus, right? Whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever language you're using on that. And so we really do believe that Jesus is the captain that you want to sail with. Now, I want to, I want to elaborate here for a second and, and clarify. I am not a universalist that says everybody goes to heaven. And I'm not an inclusivist that says as long as you sail on the waters, you get to heaven. Um, I am, you know, I, I hold to there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Mm-hmm. Now, to be totally honest, when I first recommitted, you know, I told my story last week, I loved the idea of inclusivism, that God's going to meet you where you're at. And if you, if you, whatever faith you, you join, because mm-hmm. you're trying to sail those waters and you're trying to reach him, he'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You know, there's, there's many different paths up the mountain. If the mountain is God, there's many, you know, et cetera. It, that sounded beautiful to me. And I really liked that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to believe that. But then I read, you know, Jesus's words, no one comes to the father, but through me. Mm-hmm. And just sitting there and being like, all right, no one comes to the father, but through me. Ugh, all right, that kind of excludes inclusivism, yeah. you know. And so I really do believe. I, now, so w- when I look at the other religions, I believe that they they are for the most part moral in the sense of they're trying to do good. Mm-hmm. You know, most of these religions have these v- very similar commandments sometimes to the Bible, and so they're trying to do good. They are trying to explore God, and so they are out on the water, and I at least want to acknowledge that. One of the controversial things that Jesus says is that paradise, you know, because we live in a society now that would say the paradise is further out in the water and it doesn't really matter what boat you get into. Because you're all going to the same place. Yeah, you're all going to the same place. And Jesus would counter that. 
And he would say, you know, in the, in the scriptures, no, heaven is another whole realm, right? So in the story, heaven's up in the sky. Mm-hmm. So your boat, you can sail the waters all day long and be somewhat spiritual and somewhat good, but it can't get you to heaven, to this paradise. Your boat has to be able to fly, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what Jesus says is no boat can but mine, you know? And so if you want to best navigate these spiritual waters in this life and you want to get home to the paradise, you really do need to... Uh, follow the way, you know, the way, the truth, and the life, right? Mm-hmm. So when I look at other religions, I don't look at them as enemies to blow up and destroy. Sure. Um, if I have several friends that are Muslim or and Jewish, um, not both, <laughs> separate. <laughs> That'd be an interesting uh, yeah. combination. And so my my approach is: listen, I love that you, we both recognize there is a God, mm-hmm. and I love that we both want to sail these spiritual waters and pay attention to the unseen things in life and try to live a moral life and a good, loving life. Mm-hmm. And so applause, you know, kudos to that. Can I introduce you to my captain? Mm-hmm. You know, and this goes back to what I told you last week when I, when I recommitted after that prodigal son stage and just felt God was all excited that I was back, you know, and I thought I was going to be put on probation, you know, and he just welcomed me with full arms. All your sins are forgiven, done, taken care of. Um, I, I'm just amazed by, by who Christ is, you know, God in the flesh yeah. is, is who Jesus is. And, you know, and you hear about Muslims having the visions of Isa, you know, and just boom, we, we were over in, in Israel and Palestine a couple years ago mm-hmm. and met with a guy who's, I, th- I think his mom was Jewish and his dad was Muslim, but they were both, um, they weren't real sincere in their faith. Okay. Uh, they just kind of just went, you know, went through culturally, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't really grow up with any religion or any supernatural talk. And he'd gotten into some trouble and got with the wrong crowds and ended up getting arrested by the Israeli uh, police and was in jail. And in jail, he had a vision from Jesus. And I'm paraphrasing, this was a couple of years ago, but basically Jesus said, you need to get your act together and follow me. You know, and this was like a very real vision, almost like yeah. John in, in Revelation 1. And uh, he's like, okay. And so this was multiple years ago that that had happened. Mm-hmm. So when we met him in Jerusalem, um, he led a reconciliation ministry now uh, between wow. like the, the Palestinian Christians and the Jewish Christians uh, because there's a lot of cultural divide there, but the, there's unity in Jesus. And so he would help, mm-hmm. he, he helped try to wreck it. It was beautiful. It was, it was, it was amazing. You yeah. know? So anyways, uh, I, so I had that balance of I respect the other religions that are trying to pursue God, but in the end it's going to fall short. And so in that fourth stage, that believer stage, if you're in one of the other boats, the story ends there. Mm. Um, you're just going to sail the waters and, and that's it. Where if you join Jesus's boat and you commit to him as, as Lord, as divine masters, uh, Romans 10, 9, mm-hmm. then it continues on. Makes sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. So the fifth stage, so you're in, so you get in the boat and uh, do you think if once you join the Christian boat, it's all unity or do you think there's division? I think the design is for there to be unity, <laughs> yeah. but the practical working out of that currently in our culture, there's not. Yeah, we're not very good at that. No. So I love the phrase, unity in the midst of diversity. Mm-hmm. So the church, the body of Christ, is not supposed to be uniform, but they are supposed to be unified. Mm-hmm. And, and there's going to be diverse ways to do it. And so when you join the Christian boat, you learn very quickly there's different types of sailors. So there's Orthodox sailors, Catholic sailors, Protestant sailors, Evangelical sailors, charismatic sailors, Coptic sailors, and they don't really get along with each other. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they think they're the only sailors, yep. you know, um, and there's a lot of division. So, so I, I want to fully admit the ugliness on the boat, on the Christian boat. The, the, the body of Christ is broken and unhealthy, um, and I fully admit that. And I know that God wants us to become healthy. And so the goal is not to stay in the boat. And so when you, when you, in this fourth stage, if you choose to become a believer and join Jesus, then you join that boat and you start learning the boat rules. You start studying the Bible. You start learning the generalities, mm-hmm. uh, the, the general truth and the, and the commandments, et cetera. But you're supposed to go further. You're supposed to go deeper. And so the fifth stage, um, so, so Jesus, he'll get this little ornery grin on his face, you know, this little mm-hmm. twinkle in his eye. And so we're on the boat, we're sailing, we're all yelling at each other, you know. Um, some of us, like in my prodigal son stage, I'm hanging off the side of the boat with a ball of jack in my hand, you know, <laughs> just totally not living like a sailor like I'm supposed to. And, um, but anyways, he gets this twinkle in his eye and then he jumps over the side of the boat uh, and he starts walking on the water. Hmm. And he says, hey, come walk with me. And the majority of believers are like, um, no thanks. Yeah, I, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. It looks fun, you know, yeah. good for you. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go ahead and just stay here. This is easier. You and know? safer. And just... safer. Yeah, because how do I 
do that. Mm. You know, what was the quote you said? Or, um, I remember someone said earlier today that uh, Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. Hmm. Yeah, some, I've heard something some similar famous, to that. Famous person that said yeah. that. But anyways, so most of them just stay in the boat. Because how in the world am I supposed to walk on water? I think that quote was actually from C.S. Lewis. Yes. And it's yeah. um, in reference to Aslan. Um, oh, and from, yeah. yeah, and so he's saying that he's a lion. He's not safe, but he's good. Yeah, there you go. So so we don't even know how to, you know, how would we walk on water, you know? But there's that point in your life when you realize you don't want just the general truth of who Jesus is and, and, and you have that sincere relationship with him because you've confessed him as Lord yeah. um, but you want to go deeper and you don't know how you're going to do this but you're going to so Peter right and Jesus mm-hmm. calls him to walk on water and he just jumps out and at first he did it was of a faith but then he started to sink you know mm-hmm. so the fifth stage is the water walking stage so you move from the boat riding to the water walking and the phrase that we use was moving from the believer to the disciple mm-hmm. and so I want to explain here the difference between these two what is the difference okay. between the believer and the disciple between the boat jesus's boat rider and jesus's water walker the boat riders apply the generalities of the bible to the generalities of their life whereas the disciples or the water walkers apply the details of the bible to the details of their life so we've talked about you start seeing these verses like you know rid yourself of all bitterness and do everything without complaint and pray without ceasing and rejoice always and so the water walkers is like hmm and turn the other cheek and bless your, those who persecute you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, honor the king, whoever the king may be, you know. And so the water walker is like, I really want to, I don't know how <laughs> I'm going to do that, <laughs> yeah. but I really want to try to do that, you know. And so so that's that's one difference. The an, Another difference you could say, the believer sincerely says, you know, Jesus, you're God, you are Lord, you are, you are Savior, mm-hmm. so please come into my life. You know, this is the, the prayer that, we, that we're all taught when we're young. Sure. Where the water walker says, wait a minute, Jesus, you're God. You're, you're God in flesh. Hmm. You know, you are the alpha and the omega. I, it's not about you coming into my life. It's about me coming into your life. Hmm. It's not about me just fitting you into my plans. It's, it's, it's me fitting myself into your plans. So I want to put myself at your feet. You know, this is, this is the sanctification. This is the maturity. Uh, there's so many rabbit trails we could go on this, but this is um, 1 Corinthians 3 that you build that foundation of Jesus, but not just with the wood, hay, straw, but with the gold, silver, and costly stones. It's not just being a choked Christian. It's being a fruitful Christian. Mm. It's not just drinking the milk. It's actually moving on to the solid food. It's not just in Romans 5, the, um, the just or righteous Christian. It is the good Christian, right? It's above and beyond that. And so, and so it's, it's maturing in your, in your faith. And so the, the two things I want to say with the water walking, one is w- w- the way that we're killing describes all of this is when you make that decision, I, I don't want to be just a boat rider for Jesus. And, and as a boat rider, you are going home when you die because you, you know, he's your captain. Yeah. Um, but you want to do more than that. And so you're training and you're developing. And we talked last week about, I believe that we're all incomplete and and we're supposed to move towards that complete version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so the water walking is all about that. It's all about becoming that complete version. So for example, we look at the nine fruit in Galatians five. And so the the way that I explain the analogy is imagine out on the water, Mm -hmm. um, there's all these training areas that have been like cordoned off. And so there's a training area for love, a training area for hope, a training area for joy, a training area for peace. And so like each fruit of the spirit would have its own training area love is so complex there's multiple training areas just within love yeah patience and kindness etc uh each each um uh spiritual gift would be a training area each biblical mindset like humility would be a training area and so we've identified around 150 or 160 Mm -hmm. so far and so the idea as a water walker is you're going to begin just going to different training areas and i don't think there's one correct order i think it varies from person to person but you're going to start learning each of these training areas and some training areas you're naturally good at so you pick it up quickly some are brutally difficult (laughs) it's always going to be an uphill battle you know Mm -hmm. um but you go you go through them and and the other second thing i want to say is with what is how do you how do you water walk right so the idea is imagine the holy spirit is just under the surface of the water and he has his palms up on the surface and so what does it mean to water walk it's the idea of galatians 5 walk in step with the spirit Mm -hmm. with your eyes fixed on jesus i think hebrews talks about this and so to mature in your faith it's not of your own power because you don't have the ability to water walk Mm -hmm. you can't be loving to the full degree that first corinthians 13 describes loving you know (laughs) it's not not possible on your own mindset Mm -hmm. and so it's it's 
paying attention to the Holy Spirit in the moment. And 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 we'll have to another episode. We'll elaborate more on what does that mean exactly. I'm still yeah. processing through all that. But it, it's imagine so you're kind of looking down on the water to see where the Holy Spirit's hands are, you know. And so you're stepping on His hands. So you're not actually just walking on water just by itself. You're mm-hmm. actually walking on the Spirit's hands, and it looks as if you're water walking. Yeah. So you're 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 fixated on Him, but you're also fixated on Jesus because He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And so you're you're walking in step with the Spirit as you're moving more towards Jesus. This is this is developing the intimacy with Him, mm-hmm. you know, in that relationship. And, and going and so the, the three of you, you Jesus and, and Spirit, yeah. going through all these training areas and really maturing in your faith. Yeah, and I almost think that that whole idea could be as you have your eyes fixed on Jesus, you don't even need to be looking down because as you're walking towards Him, Jesus is guiding you to be in the place where the Holy Spirit's going to be anyway. True. true. And so then you don't have to be looking down at all. You can just be looking having your eyes uh, completely fixed on Jesus. And so then you're not trying to trip yourself. And that just kind of naturally happens as you pursue Christ. Yeah, I would say there still is a paying attention to the Spirit. Sure, yeah. Um, we have, you know, going back to the sailors, there's some sailors that spend too much time focused on the Holy Spirit. There's others that don't focus on Him enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I think there's a balance. Sure. Of course, what is three in one, God? <laughs> we're, you know, we're still yeah. <laughs> figuring that out. But anyways, and so... Uh, you know, side note with other seasons that we're going to do, we'll be doing the unpacking seasons that, you know, Mm -hmm. we talked about last week and we'll be doing unpackings on each of those 160 plus, this is going to take years uh, to do, but that's, that's the hope is that. So then when you feel God's leading you to this training area on humility or Mm -hmm. whatever the topic may be, then you can listen to that podcast episode to help get some insight as to, you know, to what that looks like. Um, The other thing I'll say is storms are a natural part of this. So I like to say, you know, you can't learn in a vacuum. So for example, if God's trying to teach me patience and patience is a refraining from enforcing what is do or right in the moment for some other good, then the only way I can learn patience is for bad to happen to me. Hmm. And so storms, we can't get mad or surprised when storms in life come. How, how can a sovereign God allow these storms? Depending on the storm, it's there for training purposes, yeah. you know. And so, a lot of people, when they, they get out on the water, and then the storm comes, they get scared, and they go back to the boat. But really, when the storms of life come, and you're out there trying to water walk, that's the whole point. Don't don't be surprised by it, yeah. and just rush that much quicker to Jesus. And just your only goal, that's kind of like with the the church, the letter to Thyatira in Revelation. He goes, I don't add any other burden to you. Just survive, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, when the storms come, it's just to survive and, and get stronger through them. Mm-hmm. And so, you're, you imagine you're clinging to Jesus, you're, you're half drowning so you're barely surviving but totally thriving you know as you go through all that and so a whole bunch more we could say on that but i want to kind of keep kind of you know boom 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 so the water walking is the really trying to mature in your faith Mm -hmm. so what happens is the more long term you're out on the water in the midst of the storms um the only way you're doing that is because like you were just saying you're relying so heavily on jesus yeah so something that i really strongly believe it that's a core part of, of rekindling is the more that you rely on Jesus, it makes you reliable, hmm. and he can now rely on you. The more that you depend on Jesus, the more dependable you become, and now he can depend on you. The more faith or trust you put in Jesus, the more trustworthy you become, and now he can trust in you. So I believe that God loves everybody. He even loves the valley dwellers mm-hmm. you know, that, that deny that he, that he exists. Yeah. He loves everybody, but the only people that he can actually trust and lean on are the long-term water walkers. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible, to me, is not a story of, uh, like, you know, God chose this person to be a hero and this person to be a hero and these 6,000 to not be heroes. Yeah. I think God set up humanity and says, all right, who wants to be a hero? And with free will, the, you know, as Isaiah, right, here am I. And Abraham and Noah and these people just said, okay, I'll, I'll give this a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work exactly, but we'll, we'll, we'll try. And he rewards, he rewards that. And so he goes, great, thank you. I wish I had more of, of these heroes. Uh, and so it's the people who've chosen to really apply the details of the Bible to the details of their life mm-hmm. and transform from the inside out with their character. And we're, we're going to get into that into another lens. But the, because they've transformed so yeah. much, God says they're ready for the next stage. And just going back to what I mentioned last week with meeting you, this was really the concept that you were explaining Mm -hmm. when I first started seeing, wow, this is how you can actually practically spiritually mature. Like, because I had been, to use the analogy, I had been in the boat just kind of riding along and Mm -hmm. um, just this whole idea of going to the next step and saying, okay, Christ, like, let's try this and right. getting out on the water and finding those areas and really starting to do that. That's just something that really attracted me to this ministry. Yeah. That's, you know, part of my walk was just coming to this realization. Like, oh, I want to do this. I want to, I want to be this kind of person. Yeah. So 
So that then leads to the sixth stage. And the sixth stage, you go from the water walking to the wind walking. And so you go from disciple to ambassador. And let me say, you never really graduate from the water walking stage. You'll mm-hmm. be in the water walking stage your whole life. It's going to take that long, <laughs> you know, and into the next life to really master all these. That's another thing, too. Do not for a second think that you're actually supposed to master all 160 mm-hmm. training areas. Not possible. Yeah. Uh, Jesus alone is the only one that, that, that did that, you know. And so it's it's learning to master those training areas that he calls you to. <laughs> and as long as you're putting one step in front of the other and you're slowly obeying in that way, God's not, it's not a sprint. Right? It's <laughs> a marathon, uh, a baby step, stumbling, bumbling, two steps forward, <laughs> one step back, you know, kind of process. <laughs> and so a lot, I think a lot of boat riders get overwhelmed because they think, oh, here's the, okay, here's the water, oh, there is a water walking stage. Whoa. <laughs> that's, that's too much. Yeah, that's intimidating. <laughs> that's overwhelming. I'll just stay here in the boat, right? <laughs> Um, and so it's, it's just one step in front of the other. It's a, it's such a baby step thing, you know, mm-hmm. with that. So anyways, but those who have long-term consistently been walking on the water, they're really maturing, they're yeah. transforming, they're reliable. God says, you guys are ready now to do the wind walking. So he teaches them how to fly and they eat and like, like, uh, uh, blue angels, you know, so they, they do, they can do patterns together. They can do patterns individually. And what this represents, this ambassador stage, this represents you finding your specific calling, uh, in life or your purpose or your niche or niche. If you're in France listening right now, <laughs> um, but you, so you found the specific, this is the path that he wants you walking on. This is the, the, uh, um, uh, adventure that he wants you accomplishing, etc. Yeah, I think it's possible to skip through the water walking to get to that the calling stage. So you can have these immature people doing their calling, but they're mm-hmm. doing it brokenly and in hollow fashion. So when you see somebody fall from grace, to me, it's th- that was their calling. Let's say yeah. a pastor as a scandal or something, that was their calling, but they either skipped or forgot some of the training areas. So you just need to go back to the training area. So you're always in that water walking, and then you can add to it the wind walking. And so you're, you're pers- you, this is where the know self comes in, mm-hmm. but you're figuring out how you're wired so you can figure out what his purpose is for you. Yeah, and I think the analogy with the Blue Angels is helpful because the Blue Angels aren't flying around. Um, once they get up in the air, they're not flying around constantly and without ever landing. Correct. They have to land. They have to mm-hmm. refuel. They have to learn their next maneuver. And so it's important that we aren't having the assumption that, okay, fine. I'm going to graduate from this and move on to the wind walking. Yeah, because there'll be times you need to go back to the boat and chill a bit, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then back out in the water and back up in the air. I just really like this analogy because it helps me yeah. piece together a lot of these scriptural passages that I've read and, and, and what do these look like. And another note on that, technically, the boat riders and the water walkers are also ambassadors for Christ. Hmm. Um, what I believe is the wind walkers are the best the most impactful mm-hmm. because they're mature because they've, they've, you know, they've joined the boat. They've committed to Jesus. They learned the basics. They've begun doing the water walking and they're transforming and maturing from the inside out. And they found their specific little niche, you know, for them. Yeah. And, and so what I believe is, is when, imagine the people out back on the shore, the mm-hmm. beachcombers or, or, the, or the other believers in the other boats, the Muslim boats, the Jewish boats and all that. They've long looked at the Christian boat and haven't really seen a strong motivation to join that boat. <laughs> yeah. You know, you guys have division, we have division. You know, so the Jewish boat has the um, Orthodox and the Reformed and the traditional branches and, and the and the Islam boat has the Sufi and the and the Sunni and the Shia branches. You know, so they all we all have our divisions, sure. you know, et cetera. <laughs> um, but all of a sudden there's these sailors, this these sailors of Isa, Yeshua, uh, Jesus, there's these sailors that are walking on water and flying. Yeah. And and so these these believers of the other boats are like, uh we can't do that, you know. <laughs> and, and and some of these people fly so high, it even gets the attention of the people back in the in the valley, you know. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, they, you know, up in the air, what is this? And so out of curiosity, they come over. And so I do believe that, that the water walkers and, and wind walkers are all ambassadors. But to me, the ambassadors, because you found maybe you're supposed to be a stay-at-home mom or an engineer or a mm-hmm. pastor or a missionary or a teacher or uh, a painter, you know, or it's more, there's a whole bunch of different things when it comes to calling. But you're doing what what you've been designed to do and you're yeah. excelling at it and people marvel. And so what I believe is it's the wind walkers and, and, and the water walkers that are really going to bring people to Jesus more than the boat riders are. And I think another way that they're effective in bringing people to Jesus is because their influence can be seen by others. Mm-hmm. When, um, Because we are called to share the gospel and go back to the island and talk yes. to them. And so it's important that the people that are flying around they have a stronger witness because someone on the earth or someone back on the island with mm-hmm. their binoculars can say, wait, I saw you. I saw you flying. Around. You right. were flying. What is that? I True. want it. 
as opposed to someone who's just been sitting in the boat that comes back and is just and tries to explain yeah jesus is cool uh he's different from the rest um i just kind of sit in the boat though and yeah. don't really do anything so Except maybe, but, maybe but you should join me in the boat <laughs> yell at um, people on the beach and <laughs> yeah and so it it just honestly you can see how as you're doing really crazy things for Christ, just being out on the water flying, it makes you more effective as you try and convince others that this is something agree. that you want to be doing. Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, because I think back to my 20s when I'm hanging on the side of the boat with a bottle of Jack in my hand. You know, you should come to the, I'm a Christian. <laughs> uh, I was not setting a good example you yeah. know, for that. I also think that I, I love this I love this analogy so much mm-hmm. um, because you're going to see all the other lenses. Uh, most of the other lenses are dealing with how to water walk. Yeah. Right? Um but I, I love all the way the analogies can go because another thing that we do is we as as the boat riders we try to get the beachcombers to obey our boat rules. Hmm. They haven't joined a boat; they don't need to obey those boat rules, you know. Yeah. So it's not about hey, you need to do all the commandments of the Bible so that you can follow God. It's like no, no, no. You need to understand that Jesus, God in the flesh, is the best king ever, you know, <laughs> yeah. and the best captain ever. And you want to sail with him. And yes, there are rules, but they're very you know good rules with all that. So anyway, so those are the six stages. And then we talked about how the paradise is not out in the water, it's up in the sky. Mm-hmm. So at some point in the future, we don't know when that's going to happen yet, um, Jesus is going to take his followers. So he's going to take his boat riders mm-hmm. and his water walkers and his wind walkers home to this paradise. Yeah. And and one little side note on that, and I don't want to go too much detail on this, I, I believe that probably 80% of Christians are in the boat mm-hmm. and maybe 15% are out in the water consistently. And maybe 5% have been on the water consistently and have found their calling and, and are doing it. Yeah. And I feel like the percentages should be reversed. You can imagine if at any given time, 5% of Jesus's sailors from the boat because they just joined the boat, they're mm-hmm. excited, they're learning all the basics. Yeah. And then another 15% have just begun the water walking and, and they're learning the different areas, you know, the different training areas, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But then 80% are, have actually, they're doing the water walking yeah. and they found their niche, their, the, the know they sell, mm-hmm. and, and they're doing that. So let's say, I don't know for sure, you hear all your statistics, but let's say there's 500 million legit sincere followers of christ in the world today sure um that means five percent of them so it means 25 million are running around really rocking the world for jesus and more than that with with the water walkers too but but they found their niche and they're really where they need to be yeah imagine instead of 25 million imagine that was 400 million Hmm. you know because because i I have uh, friends that aren't christian and they can give all kinds of examples of just Christians really ticking them off, right? Yeah. Hypocrisy and judgmentalism, all that. But then every once in a while, you meet that Christian. Like, I can't really say anything bad about them. Mm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. like they are. They, they drank the Jesus Kool Aid and they believe the Bible is true. And I can't believe that. But they're like ridiculously caring and <laughs> nice and patient. And yeah. so I really can't, you know, can't badmouth them. Um, and it's hard to, to knock them. Mm. Um, but they're few and far in between. So imagine there's 400 million of us running around. We would change the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so just a little side note on that. Anyways, so then you get to the seventh and final stage, and this is heaven. And this is something that I'm really passionate about, and we're going to be doing an unpacking series on heaven, you know, later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blown away by heaven, and I, and I want to encourage people through rekindling to really think a lot more about heaven. Yeah. One of the biggest mile markers and life changers in my life i had you know so if you look at this analogy you have these six stages and then the seventh Mm -hmm. and so i grew up just always just kind of in my head these six stages are the story of life and then heaven is the epilogue Mm -hmm. and don't know what it is i know it's eternity but we'll find out when we get there right it's just it's good and and we kind of leave it at that and we leave it as that you know get in the book right last couple little pages kind of highlight and they all lived happily ever after yeah and I realized that that's not the reality of the situation because we've had 6,000 years of, of human history here and heaven's an eternity. Hmm. So we can go quintillions and quintillions and quintillions of years in heaven and we're still only at a fraction. And we couldn't even say a fraction because you can't measure it, right? Yeah. And so that made me rethink everything. And Randy Alcorn had a huge impact on me in, in his book, Heaven. And what I realized is these six stages that we just spent all this time describing, mm-hmm. we're in the prologue. Mm-hmm. The story has not even begun for us yet. We're just in the prologue. We're in a broken, messy prologue, and we are broken, messy actors. <laughs> and we need to try to become the complete versions of ourselves by following Jesus, this, this triune God, as, as the scriptures teach the truth of all this. Yeah. And, and those that you know believe in Jesus and, and recognize that he is the king and creator, mm-hmm. then they get to go to his kingdom. And those that don't honor him as king or don't recognize him as king, they don't go to his kingdom, right? Yeah. Um, but that kingdom is where all the action is, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, and, and if we're not just on clouds 
singing. Uh, I believe, and again, rabbit trail we won't go on, but I believe that the physical reality, there'll be feasts and concerts and athletic events. And Randy Alcorn talks about exploration to other planets, you know, Hmm. and we're not in a rush. So it's not like the very first day you'll go explore another planet. We may take a a hundred or 200 or a thousand years to actually figure out how to build the technology to do it. Hmm. But we're not in a rush. We got all the time in the world. And we get to meet all these people. We finally get to see God face to face, you know. And, and as He says in Revelation, "They will be my people, and I will be their God." You know, mm-hmm. you, can, you can almost hear His passion, you know, when he, when He says that. And so for me, it, again, it was life changing to recognize these six stages are intense, they're complex, yeah. you know. And again, I, I'm 44, so probably halfway through my life here. Uh, it's still a long time, but it really is still also a blink in the eye. And I don't need to get all ticked off when things don't go my way because we're in the broken prologue. Mm -hmm. And eventually I'll get to that perfection where there's no more tears and there's no more sin and there's no more drama. There's no more backstabbing. There's no more fear. There's no more doubt, you know. And so we can begin to taste that now. Just understanding that the fullness of it will come one day in the future as long as, you know, Jesus is our our divine master. Mm -hmm. And... um, so I want to encourage people to really begin to see that, that, that the, and I'm going to always come back to this language, mm-hmm. that we're in the prologue and then one day we get to go to heaven and the story actually really begins. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're in the boat, you get to go. But if you actually take the time to water walk and to wind walk, there's more reward and more authority waiting for you for that eternity on the other side. Yeah, and I think that that's just a really healthy perspective to have. Um, not focusing on this temporary broken prologue that we're in now and recognizing that it just does move into just this much grander view of things. And so now what we're going to do is just transition into a time of question and answer. And so hopefully that will be helpful for you guys. Okay, so our first question is, could you just give us a quick overview of the different lenses that we're going to be discussing in the future episodes? No. Oh. I'm, Never mind. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the next week we're going to do uh, eternal, oh sorry, sweet and sour. Then we're going to do eternal, internal, external. Okay. And then one called be, do, have, and one called spectrum, and one called flight, fight, persevere. Mm-hmm. One's called muddy fields, and then we'll do uh, sevenfold life and seven steps to change. We'll probably wrap up with that. There might be one more at the end. So if you're sitting here like, well, what do those mean? Yeah. Come listen to the episodes right? <laughs> and find out. Just a little teaser right there. Yeah. Uh, the second question is, realistically, what does it really look like for someone to come up over the mountain? I know that uh, we were talking a lot about Captain Jesus, and I know that part of that, once you start coming over the mountain, is you need to know who Jesus is and just what are some of the different yeah. places people could be coming from? Yeah, because I, I have to think, you know, it's been so long since I experienced that because I was a young kid when yeah. the gospel was explained to me and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, I'm in, you know. Sure. Um, and then, and, and I think it was sincere at that point, mm-hmm. but then at the end of my prodigal son stage and really just reading the scripture again and really starting to get blown away. So for some people, it's very overwhelming in the moment. They just have this this milestone in life where they're experiencing Jesus, you know, they're emotional and, and they, and they make that commitment to him. Yeah. Others, it's a slow dawning, uh, as they realized who he is. And that really is the key question to life. Who do you say I am? Jesus says, so who do you say Jesus is? And, um, Lewis had the, the trilemma that I've tweaked a bit into a quad lemma. I, th- I feel like there's five, really five different possibilities. Yeah. So if you are, in the valley or up on the mountain slope or you're down at the beach and, and you haven't answered yet that question to uh, who Jesus is, or you're in the boat, but you've just haven't thought about it in a while. Mm-hmm. There's really five potential possibilities of how to answer that question. Uh, one possibility is he's myth that there was no Jesus of Nazareth in the first century AD. Mm-hmm. The whole thing has been concocted. And so I think he's myth. I think he doesn't exist. Yeah. Another thing you could say is I think he's a madman or as, as Lewis would say, a lunatic. I think he's crazy. I think he thought, I think he, I think he was a real person Mm -hmm. that had convinced himself that he was God. And so he went around telling people he was God, but he was, he was a a lunatic. He was a madman. Yeah. He he wasn't really God in the flesh, you know? Uh, a third possibility is he's a misgrant, or as Lewis would say, uh, liar. Mm-hmm. And so this was, he was a real human that did exist, and he did claim to be God, yeah. but he wasn't, and he wasn't crazy. He just did it because of the power, mm-hmm. or he, he wanted the attention, you know, et cetera. So he, 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 he um, intentionally deceived people with that. Yeah. A fourth possibility is he's misquoted. 
And so this would be uh, uh, Muslims would, would hold to this category mm-hmm. where they would say, I believe Jesus is a real person. I believe he was a prophet and he was the only one that lived a perfect life. Sure. But he never claimed divinity. It was his later disciples writing these these letters and these books of the Bible that mm-hmm. claimed it. So he never claimed it. He's just a good man that you could follow. I think a lot of Americans kind of in the apathist stage or the secret stage might say that. Sure. Um, or the fifth, and it really seems it has to be one of these five, or master, or as Lewis would say, Lord that he is who he says he is, that he actually was God in the flesh. He, he, he's God himself, the creator of the universe, that took human form and, and lived out this life and taught and then died on the cross to atone for sins. And again, we will elaborate more on that you know, at, at other times. And so it seems that you have to a- answer that question, do I believe that Jesus is a myth? He never existed. Mm-hmm. Do I believe that he was a madman, some crazy lunatic that was just spouting off a bunch of weird stuff? Do I think he was uh, a liar, a miscreant, a deceiver, just trying to get power? Do I think he was actually a really good person that was misquoted by people? Or do I think that the letters, and again, we'll get in this in other episodes, mm-hmm. but the letters are accurate and the letters are trustworthy and infallible and reliable. Yeah. And so he really did claim divinity. He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be you know, uh, God in the flesh. And he is master of the universe, that he is the divine Lord of all things. And, and if you come to that conclusion that he is the divine Lord and the master of all things, join his boat. Yeah. Let him be the captain. And I think that that adds a lot of, com- or it adds an element of complexity that C.S. Lewis's trilemma doesn't account for. Um, right, because there's a couple other um, possibilities of how that how that would be. Yeah, which I think is definitely helpful. Um, so just going a little deeper with that, how mm-hmm. does one actually believe in Jesus? Like, what does it look like to join the Christian boat? Yeah, all I'll say real quick is, so we, we throw these religious words around like belief and faith and trust and things mm-hmm. like that. I'll just say this just kind of quickly. We'll elaborate more in other episodes. But to me, faith equals belief plus trust. So faith is a combination of belief and trust. So the question is, what is belief and what is trust? Belief is that internal cognition and acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. And then trust is the active response to that. So if you truly in your heart and mind believe that he is master, that he is Lord, that puts you in his boat Hmm. and you're going home one day. But you don't want to stay just in the belief. You want to move into the trust. You want to actually that active response, standing still when he tells you to stand still, stepping out when he tells you to step out. And that's what the water walking, the wind walking is about. Yeah. And as we had said earlier, that also makes you more effective when you just communicate all of that to other people as well. Mm -hmm. So lastly, what would you say to a person that's at each stage? If you could give them Mm, a piece of advice, we hopefully have a diverse audience just what would you say to them? Yeah. Overall, for everybody, it's as, as you've listened to all this, what stage would you classify yourself? Why are you at that stage? Hmm. And what would it take to get to the next stage? Or why would you want to go to the next stage? So if I'm talking with an atheist, and again, there's so many things I want to say, but this is just kind of just rapid fire quickly. Yeah. To the atheist who says there is no God, I look at, at you know dark matter and dark energy and baryonic matter. Bar- baryonic matter makes up 4% of the universe, and dark matter and energy is the other 96%. It's unknown. We still don't know what it is. So we've only barely mapped out 4% of the universe. We can't conclusively say there is no God. We, ha- mm-hmm. we can't rule them out. So at least recognize that you can't conclusively say there is no God. It's more of the agnostic apathist that you don't know, don't care. Yeah. If I'm talking with the agnostic or the apathist, like, oh, maybe it's just not a big deal for me. When you think about the, the picture that, that the Bible paints, it's creator of the universe that took human form to come down to earth to teach us. Uh, love is a big part of this. You know, nobility and stepping up and obedience yeah. and submission are big parts of this. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we're going to get into all these different episodes and talk about just some of the complexities and, and beauty that is God and, and Jesus in Scripture. Um, mm-hmm. Shouldn't you at least try to explore it more? If there really is a divine master of the entire universe, shouldn't it be something, you, you know, you don't have to drink my Kool-Aid yet, but something you should check out. Mm-hmm. If I'm talking with a seeker, so they've already recognized there is a God, they just don't know which religion is right, then I would get into some of the Bible apologetics as far as you look at the, the consistency in the, in the message. And I know there's tension in the text and all that, but there's a lot of consistency as well. The big one for me is the accuracy of the translations mm-hmm. you know, of, of the text and the, and the copying by hand and how accurate it's really been uh, yeah. was, was, was uh, eye-opening to me, as well as the transformative nature of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so with the seeker, I'd want to walk them through some of the specifics of the Bible, like how came about and how we can trust in it, sure. why it's so powerful to actually apply the details, et cetera, so that, hey, this you do want to choose Jesus's boat. Yeah. Then for the believers, those who do recognize that Jesus is Lord, but they're in the boat, get out. 
<laughs> and I don't mean get out, like leave your faith. <laughs> no. I mean, get out on the water, yeah. right? It's so much more. You're not supposed to build just with wood, hay, and straw. You're supposed to build with the costly stones. Don't live a choked life. Don't, don't drink just the milk. Go for the food. Go for the solid behavior. Don't just have a clean record, you know, as, as far as like, no, all your negatives been erased, but positive in your ledger. Hmm. Go do these good things that, that God has called us to do and step out in the water, you know? Yeah. Um, to the water walker, and this is the majority of Rekindling's audience, we talked this about it last week, are the water walkers, or those that at least want to try the water walking. Uh, kudos, you know, awesome for doing it. You have for now sure. chosen the most difficult thing ever and the most rewarding thing ever. You know, and so just, just pace yourself, don't sprint, don't rush it, find the training area that you're supposed to be in right now and begin doing that, begin transforming and knowing that God marvels at his mm-hmm. children when they do that, you know, and continue in that. And then for the, uh, and then also start looking at what you're calling is so you can move to the wind walking yeah. and then the wind walking hey you guys are you know the, those rare heroes of the faith that are maturing inside and out you know and, and you found that niche and, and you're doing it keep doing it know the enemy's going to come at you you know mm-hmm. know that you can take a rest on the boat or back of the water sometimes and you go back up into the air let it be kind of cyclical a little bit yeah. and just pace yourself and persevere until we get to the end and of course i can't talk to the heaven dwellers yet mm-hmm. uh, we're not there but i can't wait to get to meet everybody and and, and sit and have some dinner with them for sure. So that's what I would say. So all that is we'll just we'll wrap everything up and and sign off with this. Hopefully we've we've whetted your appetite uh, and you're intrigued to see that you know the next lens is the the sweet and sour. Yeah. Um, see more about that and and just continue on this this journey. So we love you guys. Uh, oh, and as, as always, if you have questions or objections, you can go to the website uh, rekindlingministries.org or you can email us at info at rekindlingministries.com and uh, we'll try to respond and, and work with you. So thanks, guys. Sounds great.